0: ...catapulted themselves out of the grass. She stopped and put the suitcase down, readjusted her gas mask, and tried carrying the case with the other hand. Its cracked handle pinched at her fingers. She tipped her head back and looked at the vastness of the sky, so deep and blue. A top-notch day for flying, Alfie would say. But there were no planes, nor any birds. Even the sky was empty. It had become something of a national obsession, sky-gazing. If she could see a plane, she told herself, everything was all right, and it was just her being silly. She clambered up onto the verge to get a better look across the marsh, then looked up and down the lane and listened, trying to hear a car somewhere, if not on this road, then another nearby, or a tractor in a field, perhaps an army officer on a motorbike, or the sound of a voice. The local defence volunteers on drill somewhere. The sudden bark of an order. Or a dog. Even the bark of a dog would do. There had to be someone somewhere. The strange, empty silence was making her uneasy. She could feel a tightening in her chest. She would not let herself cry. She picked up the case again and carried on, walking faster now. A wind blew out from across the lagoons and reed beds and stirred the grasses along the verge. Gorse seeds chased across the lane, and then a sudden sob erupted from inside her because she was so hot and tired now, and she hated this stillness. She thought she might choke on it. Where was everybody? Maybe it had happened. She had heard people talking about it. She had heard the warnings on the BBC Home Service. She fumbled at a gas mask box, struggling to open it. That was why there wasn't anyone about. That was why there weren't any cars, any planes, birds, crickets, anything. She pulled the gas mask out, hurriedly slipping it over her head, just as they had practiced, and tugged the strap at the back, making sure it was secure. If they'd put something in the air, like everyone said they would, if they'd let something loose from a plane flying high above them, something invisible. Inside the mask. Her gasps for breath were louder than ever, the air hissing through the filter of the nozzle, the blood rushing to her head. The black rubber sucked against her skin, and the cellophane eyepiece started to mist up. She couldn't see to either side because of the rubber rim blocking her vision. On an impulse, she turned her head sharply, expecting to see someone. But the road behind her was still empty. Breathe normally. Miss Mountfoot had instructed them during their drills. Breathe too hard and you'll hyperventilate and then pass out or go mad. You might even give yourself a brain hemorrhage, they had been told. You just need to breathe normally. But she never had been able to breathe normally in a mask. From the very first time she had put one on, she had nightmares that one day she wouldn't be able to take it off. She tried to walk on, taking in gasps of air that never felt deep enough. Sweat and condensation began to collect inside the visor. It formed on her skin and ran down the sides, dripping around the rim of the eyepiece and into her eyes, making them water. Despite everything Miss Mountford had told them, she was breathing so hard and fast now that she would almost certainly pass out. There were little tiny specks floating in the air around her. Tiny white specks. Just seeds, she told herself. Tiny seeds of something she didn't know what, touching the visor and her neck and her hands and prickling, tingling all over. She scratched at her skin, tiny pinpricks, perhaps every one an infection. She furiously flapped her arms about her, whirling them about and above her head, swiping at the air and its contagion, until eventually she began to cry, and after all this time and all those promises to herself. Keep walking, she told herself. Keep walking. Don't stop. Everything will be all right. The road through the village was deserted. There was no one chatting or cycling along the street. No children running along the pavements. No soldiers from the Liverpool Scottish leaning against the wall in their kilts and smoking. No Archie Chittuck or Tommy Sparrow or any of the other local defence volunteers messing about outside the cricketers, their bikes piled beside them just dried leaves and dust blowing across the street. As she reached the school, she saw the drawings that had been stuck to windows peeling away from the glass in the heat. Inside, the two classrooms were abandoned.